everyone. Welcome to the Panel Show Podcast. Each month, we bring together two real journalists and two improvisers in character to talk about real-world issues, topics, and events. This episode is being recorded on Tuesday, February 25th, 2020, in front of a live audience here at the fabulous 876 Studio, which is located in the Trinity Bellwoods neighborhood of downtown Toronto. I'm your host, David Shore. Let's meet tonight's panel. First, our journalist. He's a columnist for the Globe and Mail, and he's also regular on CBC Sad Issue. Please welcome Andrew Coyne. Good to see you, Andrew. Good to see you. Good to see you. And she's a freelance journalist who's written for Vanity Fair, Vice, and the Toronto Star. Please welcome back to the show, Sherilyn Johnson. Thanks for coming here, Sherilyn. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And tonight's improvisers are appearing as you love her, you hate her, you can't get enough of her. Please welcome your insufferable Aunt Maureen. Hi, how are you? I'm okay, I'm alright. Yeah, you look okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. And school dances wouldn't have been the same without our last panelist. Please welcome your old high school drug dealer, Noel Hendricks. Hey! Oh, I'm stoked to be here, David. Yeah, and if anybody's got any Doritos, like, don't be afraid. We can buy them. All right. Let's see those for after the show. The crunching sound will interfere. Oh, with the yeah. That's why he's in charge. <laughs> That's right. All right. Uh, this episode of the Panel Show Podcast is brought to you by the semicolon. Yes, the semicolon. 54% of those polled are never sure when to use it. The semicolon. Misuse it today. Ooh, yes. Done. Done. Okay. So, uh, tonight we are going to start this episode out west where on Sunday, Vancouver-based Tech Resources Limited withdrew its application for the massive Frontier oil sands project in North Alberta. The federal cabinet was slated to make its decision this week as to whether or not to approve its application. If it had been approved, the $20 billion project would have created 7,000 construction jobs, as well as 2,500 operating jobs in Alberta and generated over $70 billion in tax revenue over 40 years. However, the mine raised environmental concerns as opponents said it would cause Ottawa to miss its climate change targets. Plus, there was no guarantee that the mine would be built at all as oil prices have dropped sharply since it was first proposed back in 2014. Current oil prices sit around $50 US a barrel. But in order for the mine to be profitable, prices would have to rise to about $95 US a barrel. So it appears that the prime minister and his cabinet have dodged a bullet here. But does Tech's decision to halt the project actually help or hurt the liberals in Alberta? Andrew, why don't we start with you? What are your thoughts on this? Well, uh, not a whole lot would help the Liberals in Alberta, frankly. I mean, uh, I think they're pretty much as, as popular as polonium there. But um, but it may help them in the broader cause of, of uh, their own advancement that uh, they were facing a very, very difficult decision where if they approved the mine, they'd be in a lot of trouble with their base and uh, particularly with MPs who were in vulnerable Liberal NDP type ridings. Um, and if they didn't approve the, the, the mine, it had been built up into this uh, token of whether or not uh, Canada loved Alberta or not. I remember J Shannon Stubbs, the, the conservative resources critic, saying if it was rejected, it would mark, quote, the final rejection of Alberta by Canada. So a lot of hysteria had built up around this previously rather obscure project, which, as you noted, probably wouldn't have gone ahead any, in any, any kind of foreseeable future anyway, oil prices being what they were. 
Uh, but we're in a very fevered time now where people are looking to take offense, looking to be, a, to be uh, rejected, etc. I mean, I think reasonable people could look at that project and come to differing opinions about mm -hmm. whether it was justified or not. You noted that it needed the $95 price. I think it particularly needed that to have a, enough of a economic payoff to be worth the environmental damage it was likely to cause. And that was the, the, the judgment came to by the federal provincial panel that reviewed it. Right. Um, but we're in times now where it's hard for people to look at things just on their merits. Everything is about national unity. Everything's about save the earth or the earth's going to go to hell. I mean, we, we raise the stakes around every question, I think, quite absurdly. This is just one mind. And Maureen, I saw you nodding your head. What are your thoughts mm, on this? Yes, um, I've uh, never been to Alberta. <laughs> and I don't plan to. So I guess, I guess you know, I'm listening to this story and I'm going, ooh, like, ooh, the separation, the anxiety, everyone very stressed out, but I just have no interest. It seems like a very upsetting place, frankly. Yeah, yeah. Noel's agreeing with you, I see. Oh, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm totally agreeing in the sense that I don't know a lot about Alberta, but I know a lot about trying to expand and get, like, approval in the West and, and the economic uh, realities of it, because when I was in high school, right, I, I kind of dominated the market, so to speak, <laughs> in, the, uh, in the science wing and the math wing, which was in the eastern part of the school, and I was trying to expand to the music and drama program, because I thought that's right for my, for my, uh, for my product well, those, there, right? Yeah, those yeah. kids love that exactly. stuff. Yeah. But they 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 wouldn't pay top dollar. That was the problem, right? I couldn't make enough money trying to sell to these music and drama kids who were just wanted to like roll on the floor and sing kumbaya and stuff. That just didn't mm. work out, right? So I had to I had to change. I don't know. I think you got to change your uh, uh, your approach to uh, appeal to those Western markets, right? Like, what do they like out west? They like oil and beef. That's pretty much what I know, right? Well, if you talk to the premier, it's all about oil and gas. Like, oil and gas, yeah. sure. But they got beef out there, right? That, no, that's what sure. I think There's of. Yeah. Yeah. Where's the beef? Hey. Right? Remember yeah. that? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's in Alberta. That's right. where it is. That's so funny. I, maybe you put those together, right? And, and rather than trying to make the oil sands or whatever work, you make like, uh, like oil makes me think of deep frying stuff. So just trucks that serve deep fried beef. Right, for all the people traveling down the highway path. Because really, nobody goes to Alberta to stay, right? You're just on your way to BC, right, pretty much. So you need, you need snacks on the way. You get deep fried beef. Yeah, that seems know. like an easy problem to solve when he puts it that way. I'm not sure that's true. It really doesn't answer the question at all. But, oh, uh, well, I it's didn't okay. really pay attention. Uh, Sharon, let's, let's, let's bring it back to you. Uh, do you think this will hurt or help the liberals out in Alberta? Uh, well, I mean, I'm just hungry now. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's inconsequential at at this point, it was, you know, it was very much a, you know, you can't fire us, we quit kind of moment. But, you know, if it wasn't this issue, there's going to be another one, there's going to be another one, there's going to be another one that is the same sort of battle between Alberta and, and the rest of Canada. Um, so until they separate, uh, which I think we're just going to have more of these. Well, I don't think, we talked about this on a previous episode where, you know, the separation, I don't think it could really happen. I mean, there's a lot of threats, but realistically, yeah. I don't think it could ever happen. No, but it's fun to talk about. Yeah, the map would, the map would look awful. Oh, that's yeah. true. But if you're going to take anyone out, like Alberta's got those straight lines on the side, so it's the easiest separation, right? right. Like you try to remove Quebec, it's all jagged angles. That's going to be hard. Whoa. That's the French word. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. That's true. Oh. This point is not prevented enough. The jagged angles issue. The jagged angles issue. People don't think about the practicality of it, right? Well, apparently that's why Quebec is not looking to separate anymore. It's because of the jagged angles. Because of the jagged angles, yeah. It just doesn't make sense. It's just yeah, math. Turning back to Alberta, I mean, Premier Kennedy was, was quick to attack and blame Ottawa and their indecisiveness for this happening. 
But he really need this to happen to help boost uh, the, the, the economy there. How do you think this decision will affect Premier Kenny and his standing in Alberta? Sharon, why don't we start with you? Uh, well, I don't think anyone out there is going to blame him. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's really going to have that much of an effect, to be honest. Well, it's interesting. I was reading an article today where the, I can't remember if it was from McLean's or, or, or where it was, but the author was saying, why do I hate career politicians? And he said, it's because of this, because he, he was specifically talking about uh, the tech mine, and he said, everyone knows that oil has a short lifespan. You really can't be expanding it, but politicians keep selling it. And he said, and that's why I hate them. Um, Aunt Maureen, what do you think about it? Well, I mean, I just maybe I'm confused, but it all seems like a moot point because there was no reason for this to happen anyway. So everyone's just going to use it how they want to use it to help themselves. So everyone could be hysterical, but it's all just what side of things you're sitting on, I guess. It seems um, pointless and like a lot of just hysteria. Andrew, what do you think? That was a very non-insufferable point. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I guess he's rubbing off on me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's always profitable politics to, to rail against, you know, perfidious Ottawa. The funny thing, though, is that, that Kenny has of late been actually moving a little bit in the direction of the, the Ottawa consensus, if you will. He's, mm -hmm. he's acknowledged publicly that that over time, Alberta is going to have to transition away from oil. It's a question of how you manage that transition. So I think he's in a kind of a tricky place where he's, he, I think maybe we're selling him a little bit short. He does have to, over time, talk some reality to Albertans, but if he just sort of is seen to capitulate and roll over, he's a dead man. So he's got to fight the good fight. He's got to shake a fist at Ottawa whenever he can, but he also has to, over time, acknowledge that, that, that they've got to make the long-term transition and they're going to need the policies that are going to accomplish that. So keep, I, I would say keep your eyes on Kennedy. I think he may be not as one-dimensional as people think. I do know, for example, he's got Mark Cameron as one of his chief advisors, mm -hmm. who was the head of the Canadians for Clean Prosperity, which was a pro-carbon pricing uh, outfit. So he right. may be more complex in his politics on this than we're maybe uh, giving him credit for. Bill Hendricks, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, well, I agree with something uh, Sherilyn said and something Andrew said, I think. This is exactly how I got through high school, just sit next to the right people. Um, <laughs> but because uh, uh, Sherilyn said it's not really his fault. Agreed. Like, it wasn't him that, like, shut it down. It was just, like, circumstances. But, yeah, like, and then what Andrew said was you got to change, right? Like, it's not always going to be about oil. You got to find new things to do. You got to adapt, right? Uh, and, I mean, I'm just saying I think we're all going green, so let's go as green as we can and, and why not like turn the whole oil fields into like just a giant hemp and marijuana farm right i'm <laughs> sure there's some science in there that it can grow and stuff it, well that's actually not a bad idea because hemp you know you can make you can make so many products yeah. out of hemp you can make plastic out of hemp and if canada's going to get rid of plastics we are going to have to switch to something like hemp baked plastic oh, I'm, I, oh when people are mean and judgy about a plastic bag at a grocery store <laughs> i could throw up you don't know who i am <laughs> you know, I, maybe that's not the question, but nope. it makes me peed. Well, if you're gonna throw up, you need a plastic bag. And to then throw up you know what? And then there we are, really. You know, but that's this, the news. But this is basically a question of timing. There are people who would like to shut down the oil sands today. And if they had their way, we really would have a separation crisis on our, on our hands. But right. then it's existential. If we're talking about phasing it out over decades, then that's something, again, that reasonable people can, I think, can come to an understanding about. And I guess we're trying to kind of maneuver in. For, there, there's, this is a debate that's so dominated by the extremes. Yeah. Like people who either say, we don't need to do anything about global warming or let's shut it all down tomorrow. And somewhere in the middle there, I think there's, there's, a, there's a sensible compromise. Well, it's interesting, you know, because on the right, like on the conservative side, we will be talking about the leadership race a little bit later, 
But what I keep hearing from from you know people running and from conservative pundits and, and you know some of the candidates is, you know, when you look at Canada's overall CO two emissions compared to China, it doesn't matter what we do. And it's like, well, that's not an excuse. It's like, so we shouldn't put people in jail for murder here because there's more murders in America. It's like, it, it, you know, so that argument really makes no, no sense to me. It's not an excuse for doing nothing. I yeah. agree. I think it is a, a point that says, look, it's not existential what Canada does. We should be doing our part, but the fate of the planet is not going to live or die depending on whether we're 10% and above or 10% below our Paris targets. Mm -hmm. So we do, I do think it means we should have a little bit of a sense of proportion about this. We should do our best. We should try to hit our targets, but it's not going to be, quote-unquote, the end of the world if we're a little bit above or below our targets. I'm going to hold you to that when the world ends, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> then you will have the last laugh. Then yes. we'll come a-calling. Yeah, I will exactly. be laughing so hard when the world ends. No idea. Uh, and, you know, bringing to the point about fossil fuels, let, let me read part of the letter that was sent to the Minister of the Environment by uh, tech president and CEO uh, Don Lindsay, uh, where he announced the withdrawal of the project's application. Uh, in it, Lindsay wrote, and I quote, Global capital markets are changing rapidly, and investors and customers are increasingly looking for jurisdictions to have a framework in place that reconciles resource development and climate change in order to produce the cleanest possible products. This does not yet exist here today, and unfortunately, the growing debate around the issue has placed Frontier and our company squarely at the nexus of much broader issues that need to be resolved. While that's all true, and, and certainly investors are no longer as willing to put their money into fossil fuels, aren't he and, and Premier Kenny as well, aren't they ignoring the fact that the price of oil is, plays a huge part in this? I mean, this mine, if they went forward, would be a money loser. And is, you know, was that letter written in earnest? Like, do you think maybe, I mean, yeah, it, it is harder to definitely to get investors aboard, but if it's, you know, gonna lose money from day one, why would anybody invest in that? Andrew, what do you think? Uh, that's true, true or not true, we don't know. We don't know where the price of oil is gonna go. I think right. obviously the price of oil was a big concern for them. I think they were also incredibly uncomfortable being in the middle of a political fight where all of the bad feelings around it gets attached to their company and their company name. And remember also, they're in the coal mining business. Right. So they don't want people getting, you know, starting getting mad at Frontier and going, well, maybe we should shut down their coal mines too, you know. So I think they, they, they just wanted this whole thing to go away when they saw that it wasn't going to go away. I mean, they, they might want to have the, the approval in their pocket so that if and when prices do go up, then they're ready to go. Right. But the fact that it was it was becoming such a political football, I think, just made them go, eh, let's get out of here. And Maureen, what do you think? Well, I, you know, I, I, I think that we can't expect uh, business people to tell the truth. And uh, <laughs> I, I, that's a lot of pressure on them, you know. you got to let them kind of do what they're going to do. And, and it, you know, it, 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 it reminded me, um, I, I have this friend, Jill, uh, and she's a sweet woman, really. Um, but it, uh, I hate to go to her house, you know. And she just, she came back from, uh, from walking uh, a part of the Camino, and mm. she has thousands of photos that she wanted to show everyone <laughs> yeah. you know right and, and and so I thought well what am I gonna do I don't want to go right right she never has enough wine the snacks are <laughs> bad <laughs> so I called and I said I can't go you know I'm I'm volunteering that that night at, at, a, at, at a woman's shelter you know and I'm not gonna tell you more about that because it's not your business <laughs> and what that was for me was that now she got to feel bad 
because I was a good person, right? And I got yeah. to feel good because I didn't have to go. And that's, <laughs> so I relate to his tactic here. You know, sometimes you have to lie to just really wash your hands of something and feel like a good person. Good point. Excellent yeah. point. Sherilyn, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's necessary to either, you know, lie or selectively tell the truth based on what's convenient. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of reasons for doing all sorts of things, and some of them make you look better than others, and uh, that's PR spin. That's what PR is, in a nutshell. It's um, true. Sorry, no. Yeah, yeah no, I was going to say, like, like I, I agree with what they're saying. You can't trust a politician. I don't want to trust a politician. But then I, I, I read this, and it's like, he wrote a letter. I'm like he wrote. A, who writes a letter these days? And I got. I I believe in the sincerity of letter. Like the pen doesn't lie, man. He didn't talk to people. He didn't send a text. He wrote a letter. Like when I was a kid, my uh, my nana Irene would like send me uh, you know birthday checks and uh, sometimes sweaters that she knit herself. They never fit, but they'd have like fish hanging off them instead. Yeah. Not real fish, like knitted fish. Uh, cute. Uh, yeah, they were cute, yeah. but I never wore them. But my mom would always make me write a letter to her, and I was like, I can't lie. Uh, you know, so I would honestly tell tell Nana like I appreciate the sweater I don't really like it but it's nice thank you for the sweater uh, so like I much as it goes against my beliefs I gotta believe him because he wrote a letter it's an interesting point you know I think it took me six months to write all my thank yous for my bar mitzvah yeah all my bar mitzvah letters I just did and it was all the same thing in every in every letter I just didn't want to write them that's just me when I was lazy and 13 uh, in any case, let's move on. Let's move on cross-country all the way to New Brunswick, oh. where Deputy Premier Robert Gauvin resigned and left the Progressive Conservative Caucus to protest the party's recent health care reforms, including the nighttime closure of six rural hospital emergency rooms. His departure weakens Premier Blaine Higgs' minority government. Here's a clip of Gauvin talking after his resignation taken from Global News. Could we play clip one, please? Most politicians... They are, they are, how should I say, loyal to power. I'm not like that. And if you have to be like that to be in politics, I won't be in politics for long. Now, panel, it's increasingly rare uh, to see or hear something like this in modern politics. And Govan's resignation is to be admired for sure. Do you think this will inspire other politicians across Canada to follow their conscience rather than their party? <laughs> Uh, Andrew laughed right away. No. <laughs> we'll start with you, Andrew. Well, no, and I'm not even sure necessarily that this was a question of principle for him. I mean, to resign on the idea that the government's making too harsh cuts, uh, he may be right, but it's mm -hmm. also the politically popular thing to do. He'll be hailed as a hero for doing that. Yeah. Um, uh, but, it, it, no, that it is part of the problem in Canadian politics. It is, it is exceedingly rare for people to, not just to resign on principle, but to do anything on principle yeah. in Canadian politics. And it's taken some of the tension out of politics, if I can put it that way. The, the, the conventional lens by, through which you look at politics is the, the, the tension, tension between the lure of power and, and the pragmatism that go with that and the, you know, the, the appeal of principle and conviction and conscience. But if people just decide they're going to set principle and conscience to one side and it's just all about politics, about power and, and pragmatism, it kind of, all the air kind of goes out of it. It becomes much less interesting. Uh, and we've seen that in, 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 relative, in recent times in Canada. It's, it's hard to remember, you know, the last cabinet minister, for example, federally, who resigned on a question of principle. I guess you go back to Michael Chong, before that you go to Lucien Bouchard, and then, you, then you're into the mists of antiquity. So um, I, it does seem that we, we have a, uh, a politics that is pragmatic to a fault, shall I say. Uh, no, Hendricks, what do you think? 
Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, I was I was mesmerized and distracted by his uh, his francophone accent because yes. it's just so beautiful and charming. It's like mm. it's just dripping with red wine and poutine. Yeah, that had uh, that, that had my mists of antiquity uh, going. Oh, <laughs> right? touche! You know, like I know horny what, sometimes. Yeah. Thank you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for explaining. Right. Right. No, I, I didn't know. You know, I needed the explanation. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> uh, but oh yeah, the question is like, will they stand on? Will they stand up for what they believe what in? What do you think it'll inspire or, more? politicians I, to, to well, take I, a stand. Oh, I, I don't know if that will, but I think they should take a stand. They gotta stand up for what they believe in and do things on their own. Like like when they legalized marijuana uh, in uh, in Canada, I stood up and I said, I mean, I just did it in my living room to my cat, but right. I stood up and I said, I'm I'm not gonna, you know, try to get a license, be legal. I'm gonna keep doing what I've been doing and keep doing with my entrepreneurial spirit selling my own uh, selling my own stuff well has uh, the legalization affected your business in a big way uh, no because nobody's buying the shit that the government's putting out so <laughs> my clientele's still coming to me and uh, and uh, and I think you, you that's what I'm saying the, the ma and pa shops or, or the the local shops it's not a shop I mean I guess I'm a traveling shop in my, uh, in my Toyota <laughs> but uh, uh, but we got uh, we got we got better quality and customer service so uh, I, don't, I don't even know what the question was Loyalty. anymore. That's uh, okay. Let's, uh, Sherilyn, do you think that more politicians will be inspired to maybe take a stand and not toe the party line? Um, I think they may be inspired to pretend to take a stand. I mean, maybe I'm too cynical, but uh, I think, you know, I think people like the idea of politicians having principles, but I don't <laughs> think any politicians actually do have principles. Oh, uh, you know, it's, it's all just it's all just uh, it's all just tactics, and I, I find it very hard to believe that anyone would be like, "Oh no, this is the one thing that I can't, and I'm I'm gonna step down." I think I think it's all strategic and and all tactical. Look look at what happened to Jane Philpot. I should remember mm -hmm. this, by the way. Jane Philpot did an unbelievably principled thing because she yep. wasn't even the minister involved, but she resigned in protest of what was done to Jody Wilson Raybould. Oh, yeah. One of the most I think one of the most pure acts of principle that we've seen in recent years. Ran as an independent, was defeated. So, and, uh, and that probably comes down to party politics. Yeah, Canada. well, and, but also but voter behavior, right? No, the, for the sure. The voters of her riding had a chance to reward her yeah. for that principled stand and took a pass. I will say, though, she was your person of the year on our bonus episode. I, I, I had forgotten that, but I would certainly <laughs> repeat it. <laughs> well, you can all listen to it online. Uh, Marie, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think I think that you can be cynical about it, but I would like to go back to this man's actions as an individual, and I, I smell something off with it, you know. I, I, I think my, my guess is he had a crush on someone. <laughs> and he wanted to look like, you know, kind of a rogue, right? So he's, oh I'm, oh, I'm over here now, right? And she's looking at him, and he's looking at her, and, and there's a tension there, you know? And if not that, then I think he would like to write a book. But I, I I think that there were some other motives here. I mean, I agree with Sherilyn. There's something I don't trust people that have principles. Okay, well, let's <laughs> let's let's talk about some of the uh, what happened because of this resignation. After a week's worth of angry protests, plus Govan resignation, Premier Higgs has put the health care reforms on hold, saying that he now sees gaps in the plans. Here's a clip of the Premier announcing that he will visit the affected communities, and this clip was also taken from Global News. Can we play clip two, please? In April and May, I will personally visit these communities to initiate the process to ensure that we hear from community leaders, the people delivering care, and the concerned citizens. Our government will also hold a health care summit in June with the goal of developing an overall strategy 
to ensure a sustainable and reliable healthcare system for New Brunswick. This must also address the challenges faced in the rural communities. Now what the Premier just said completely contradicts Health Minister Ted Fleming's comments made the previous week when the government announced the cuts. According to Fleming, regardless of any political flack, quote, we're going to do it anyway. Fleming then added, the government has to govern. There's been enough studies, enough consultations, enough reviews, enough, enough, enough. Well, apparently not enough, because they're gonna do it again. And apparently they ignored the rural community. So my question to you, panel, is do you think Premier Higgs about face had more to do with a possible vote on confidence, because it is you know, a minority government, or with him actually finding out that there were several issues in his plan? Uh, sure, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I mean, I maintain my opinion that there there are no principles in any of this, uh, and yeah. Even out really, east? Even in the Maritimes? Oh, even out east, yeah, okay. anywhere. Uh, that's how cynical I am. Um, <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think he actually believes or maybe even cares either way whether it was a good decision or, or a bad decision for the people. Um, it was just shaping up to be a bad decision for him, so. All right, and uh, Aunt Maureen, what do you think? I think never apologize. You know, I, I think that he he knew he it screwed up right in his mind. But he can't he can't show that, and everyone's gonna you know be mad at him. I uh, I just think that if you do something wrong, you just keep denying, 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 denying. I what same friend Jill who I mentioned before, she was retiring and she had a, a party, and I got okay to drunk okay it happens uh, the food wasn't good again it's a theme with her apparently i i found a microphone and i kind of did a speech <laughs> but i got a lot of calls the next day that said oh da 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 da, da. you called her a bitch blah 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 it was very rude she cried she left right and i said oh that was a joke and I maintain that, and I maintain that. And $600 worth of Second City improv classes mm. later, I've proved to all my friends that I am a comedian. You know? <laughs> and Jill is a bitch, but that's my opinion, and I'm allowed to think it. So I think this guy, you know what? He rules. <laughs> it was satire, right? Yeah. Satire, oh, yeah. Wow. You know, the, you eat the babies or whatever that one's about. Wait, what? The Irish, the, the, the switch. What's his name? Swift. Swift. <laughs> this guy knows. Oh, he knows. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Let's go Gulliver's Travels. Oh, Gulliver's Travels. Gulliver's Travels. It's part of the, yeah. I saw it as a child and was frightened by it, by the film version. Mm. I just oh. remember people being really little or really big. I don't remember anybody eating no, babies. No, These are separate properties. Separate properties. Okay. Let's get back to the topic. Let's go to uh, Andrew Coy. Are the politics out east a little bit different, Andrew, or is this just, you know, calculated political decision? Well, I, I think the premier, I'm, I'm going to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here. I, I think we have to distinguish between the particular policy choice they made here and the politics surrounding that. Right. Uh, and the broader thing of do you need to do something about the cost of health care? Mm -hmm. uh, because health care is eating us alive. Okay, right now we're already, we already have provinces spending close to 50% of their budgets on this one department with the baby boomers only just having started to retire. And it's only going to get worse as, the, as they age and as they cost these, health, these provincial health care systems just you know, gazillions of dollars. So all these provinces are looking at really severe fiscal challenges, but the ones in Atlantic Canada in particular, which have um, older than usual populations and populations that are shrinking because people are leaving, they are in such trouble fiscally uh, going forward the next 10, 20 years, and maybe sooner than that, that something has to be done. Now, the problem is that politicians' urge is to try and micromanage this from the center, 
and they're heroes if it works out well, but they're the first people first people people attack if, if, if it's a dumb decision, if they make a so I wish politicians would resist that urge and, and, and bring in more systemic reforms that encourage everybody within the healthcare system to use healthcare dollars more carefully. And, and get it down below the political radar, and maybe that's the lesson that the, that the Premier will learn from this, is don't try and do everything from the center. Yeah. Uh, no, Hendricks, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm still processing this Gulliver's Travels thing, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I, I agree with Maureen. I think that he's totally denying, he's, he's just full of cow turd because uh, he doesn't want to face the truth, you know? It's just like when I was in grade 13, and there was a there was another guy, Adam Ezard. He was a rival dealer who uh, uh, who uh, decided. He said he decided to stop dealing, and he would allow me to uh, uh, to take over uh, the uh, the twelfth and thirteenth grade. Uh, you know, rights. We kind of had rights. We had. Right. I mean, it wasn't like legally binding, no. but we knew our territory, oh, right? Sure. Uh, and I thought, oh man, he's being nice. He just decided to you know change over a new leaf. He said he was going to work at his uh, at his dad's garage. But then I found out <laughs> later that Miss Swerbowitz, the uh, music teacher found his stash in a trombone and took it from him. Right. So he didn't even have anything to sell. He was just full, of, again, full of that counter. Oh, and I think, uh, uh, you know, not to echo, well, I was going to say not to echo what Sherilyn said, but I'm totally echoing what Sherilyn said. <laughs> Every politician is lying, man. He's just looking out for number one and trying to save his own skin. Well, you know what? Because of that, let's turn away from politics okay. for, for our next topic. Oh, and let's talk about air travel. Oh. Specifically, when is it okay to recline your seat on an airplane? Mm -hmm. Now, probably most of you have seen there was, a, there was a viral video of a man repeatedly hitting the woman's seat in front of him, and it brought up a surprising debate about when and if it's okay to recline your seat on an airplane. Now, the man in question was in the back row in economy, so his seat didn't recline. He asked the woman in front of him if she could put her seat to the upright position during the meal, which she did. Now, after he was done eating, she reclined her seat and he began punching it. Now, I was really surprised by the amount of debate, both on and offline, that this stirred up. And the Washington Post even published an article titled, The Completely Correct Guide to Reclining on an Airplane. Yeah. Now, without question, the man in this incident was way out of line hitting the woman's seat in front of him. But let me ask you, panel, when flying, do you recline when you're sitting in economy? Uh, no hundreds. Let's start with you. Okay. Yeah, I got a lot of opinions here. Yeah, totally <laughs> recline. I mean, it's there. It's human nature, right? If they don't want us to recline, don't make the seats recline. We're gonna be tempted. We're only human, right? I can't resist that button, even if I'm saying I want to be nice and not recline. My hand's just gonna fall down there, and I'm gonna feel that little nub, and I'm gonna be like, I gotta press it. I want to relax. Uh, it like reminds me like I'm taking this because uh, 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 you know I was so inspired by music when I was in high school. I'm taking this like amateur orchestra course at uh, the conservatory they offer, and uh, every week I show up and there's this guy Klaus Christofferson who plays uh, plays uh, third trumpet, and I'm like I'm like I always I always come with a joint rolled because I'm that kind of guy, right? I want to be polite. It's like showing up to your family Thanksgiving without a bottle of wine, right? You don't show up, uh, so I always put that joint in front of him, and I'm like Klaus, you want to smoke the joint and he can't resist temptation so he always does it even though he knows that it makes his embouchure dry right. which is the worst thing for when you're trying to blow into a trumpet right, you need true. a moist embouchure uh, but he's only human he can't resist so you like if they don't want us to recline don't make him recline and I always look at it like if I am on a plane and someone's in front of me reclining, hey, there's I'm just getting closer to a new friend, right? Like there's a, <laughs> there's somebody in front of me. Oh, hey, how you doing? Head there in front of me. I'm gonna strike up a conversation and being like, you're in my space. Let's get to know each other. It's like, 
I don't know. It's like kismet. We're coming together. Interesting. I've never heard uh, air flight uh, travel described as kismet before. <laughs> I don't know if I'm using the term correctly, to be honest. I think you are. Let's go I with it. I can yeah. go with it. It's kismet. Uh, Sherilyn, do you recline when you're on a plane? Uh, I, I don't, unless it's an overnight flight. Even okay. then, uh, eh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of so-so on reclining. Uh, it doesn't really help me sleep. Uh, it doesn't help me relax, so whatever. Um, but I don't think the seats should recline. Mm-hmm. I, I Honestly, it's gotten to the point there's no space between rows anymore they keep moving them and yeah, moving them and moving them they, and they shouldn't recline at all um i booked a flight recently i'm flying from toronto to vancouver and i paid 108 dollars to air canada rouge to select a, a decent seat with extra leg room and i purposely selected one that has no one yet booked behind it this happened right. this was before this story came out right and i was like i want the be- i want the best odds of not inconveniencing <laughs> a person so mm-hmm. I'm going to choose the row that doesn't have someone behind it, at least yet. Because it's a 6 a.m. flight, I plan to sleep, or uh, try to anyway. Right. I don't see what's so wrong with being considerate of other people's comfort. That's all, no, that's really all it is. Like, yeah. if you, you know, there are reasons for, okay, you have to, or you've been traveling for 24 hours, you got to try to sleep, or you have a back issue, sure. But just like, oh, hey, the button's there, I'm going to press it. Come on, man. <laughs> well, let's, I'm only you. Don't give me a button if you don't want me to press it. Is it yeah. no? Is it safe to assume you've never flown not high? Uh, that's pretty safe. Yeah, I'd have to check my notes, but yeah. I like that you take notes about the types of things. It's very, yeah, it's, I mean, I would call it a journal, but they really are just notes. Like, like that movie Memento, you know, they yeah. to kind of put his life yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I am Maureen. Do you recline when you're sitting in a car? Okay, let's. I just like to say this. Uh, I think both people in this story are assholes. That woman is an asshole as well. The guy was obviously there's something wrong with him, and he should have booked a seat a bit earlier, pay the twenty three dollars if you're a psycho and an incel. But, but, but that woman also should have had some consideration. I, I know exactly the kind of woman she is because I'm exactly that kind of woman as well. No. Finicky and difficult and wanted to complain and then filmed it. I know exactly who she is. She's not a pleasant person. Well, she did move her seat up when he said, you know, for eating, and then she put it back. And then filmed the whole thing. I mean, let's please. <laughs> I think that you, 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 there are situations where you do recline and it is appropriate. I think if someone in front of you reclines, you're allowed to recline a little bit. I think there's a difference between taking just a, an inch or so and the full recline, and one is okay and one is not. I also think, you know, we are pushed to the brink on these planes these true. days. Very they true. are just making us feel just low and, and just shoved down and disgusting. And sometimes, you know, I, I like to play a game where I look at the person that's sitting behind me. And if they show even just a shred of indecency, I go right back. <laughs> and even if this is a tall man, if they're rude, if they're condescending to someone, sweet, right back the whole time, and I'm not even tired. And that's, and that's how I win, and that's how I'm a hero. <laughs> you bring up an interesting point. I mean, air travel, it's, it's not, sorry, unless you're flying first class or, or business class, it's cattle, and I think most people have road rage while they're flying. Like, as you're trying to get oh, through yeah. the airport, mm-hmm. trying to get on the plane, trying to get your bag in an overhead mm-hmm. space near you, and, and it's just, you know, there's no relaxing until you get home. Don't yeah. they have that, like, really cheap, I think it's in Europe or somewhere, that airline, where you just, like, sit on benches or even stand, like you're yeah, on the Ryan, Yeah, Ryanair. Ryanair, which, I That's mean, not true. We're not going to get sued, because I've flown Ryanair, and they're quite good. <laughs> quite good, actually. They're on time, I think. They're on time more than any other European... 
airline. But they I do believe. do general seating, and if you want they to do. see a, a dark moment in humanity, every they're running rushed. towards oh the plane, you want. That's to, true. It's, it's, anything it's, they can charge you for, it's true. It's general seating where you pay extra to board, you know, at a normal time because it's because there's no assigned seats. So. Yeah, it's a bit of a free-for-all. Uh, Andrew Coyne, when you fly... General seating, by the way, turns out to be the most efficient way of doing it. They've really? made studies about yes, this. That's true. That, that, you know, when we're waiting for people to find the right seat, and yeah. it's all very... Oh, yeah. uh, uh, first of all, part of the, part of the um, indignity of flying nowadays is because it's so much cheaper than it used to be, at least everywhere outside of Canada. Right. Uh, so when people look back to the golden age of flying, we forget that they're talking about a time when it, you know, per number of hours it took to earn the wage to, to, to fly with much sure. more expensive than it is now but look uh, I think the issue is less so much reclining than, than how fast you recline oh, <laughs> interesting. my beef is with interesting. People, I don't mind if people recline my beef is people who do it instantly they just go flinging right back yeah. and they yeah. crunch your computer and they throw your food off the tray and everything else I think as long as you look we're not obliged you're absolutely right we should pay attention to other people's comfort but we're not obliged to discomfort ourselves in the process I think I think the proper courtesy for people is if you're going to recline do it slowly so they've got lots of time to adjust and 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 if they have a problem with it then you can you can negotiate but i think most people we're all in the same boat we're all in economy we're all under the same conditions the same discomfort so if one person wants to recline i don't think that's violating the sort of general uh, uh sort of social contract amongst the people who are suffering there in economy but you bring up a good point too is that your your laptop if someone reclines far enough you can't use your laptop anymore yeah. and so mm. so many people travel for business and you know that laptops weren't a thing when reclinable seats were That's invented true. i have a kindle <laughs> like, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. The other yeah. thing, though, is if, if you if, 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 there is a thing called premium economy, which yeah. Uh, yeah. you know you pay another hundred bucks and it's it's almost as good as being in business class. So Ooh. that that may be the way out if you're if you're just if you're beyond your tether and you're willing to splurge a little bit. Just this is a new uh, new panel uh, new panel show section called Andrew Coins Travel Tips. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. All right, let's let's move on. Let's let's come back to politics, and we're going to talk about the Conservative Party Canada's leadership race. Uh, today, there are four approved candidates, and they are former Harper Cabinet Ministers Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole, plus Ontario MP Marilyn Gladue. Uh, she was a Shadow Minister of Science and Shadow Minister of Health. Plus, there's Toronto lawyer uh, Leslin Lewis, who is the Vice Chair of the Ontario Trillium Foundation. Now, McKay and O'Toole have been getting uh, the most press, but other than uh, Peter McKay patting himself on the back for his plans to attend Toronto's Pride Parade, I haven't heard any new policy ideas from either him or O'Toole. Now, let's start talking with the two of them. Neither McKay or O'Toole appear to be offering anything different than Andrew Scheer, and right now they're both playing to the Conservative base. How can either of them expect to beat Trudeau if they're not offering anything new? And Marie, why don't we start with you? Well, I just oh, wouldn't it be fun to see to see Peter at the Pride Parade? Though, can you imagine the outfit he'd be in? I just think <laughs> he's got. And I know there's he there's he's wrong in the brain, but I love his face. <laughs> I love how he looks. He's cute, you know. He is in a way scary and dead, but cute, right? <laughs> and I think he could he could win a lot of points to get him in some cut off shorts and just draped in some kind of rainbow fabric. And I think people will go, you know what? Yeah, let's have some fun. <laughs> Cheryl, what do you think? Oh, God. Uh, I I think that image is going to be in my brain for a very long time. <laughs> I think time. he has a nice body. 
Yeah, I mean, now they mention it, sure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, you know, their job is to appeal to their base. Uh, The base is the base. I don't think, um, I don't think their base is interested in moving towards the center necessarily. So, um, I don't know. I don't really have an opinion on any of them. I'm not going to vote for whoever wins anyway. So. Can I ask a sincere question here? Do, do we do we feel, and I, I'm stupid a bit, but do we feel that the base is this immovable concept? That, that we always reference it as something that is that it, that is just what it is and people have to, have to either appeal to it or not. Can't it be adjusted? I think over time, we talked about it a few episodes ago, Andrew, you were talking about it, about um, how maybe you need to give up, for the conservatives to move forward, they need to give up pandering to a bit of the base in order to appeal to, to people in Ontario, Quebec, and and in the Maritimes. Because, I mean, out here, out east, you know, climate change is a big issue. And whereas where the base is, it's, you know, oil and gas. Yeah, I mean, there's differing shades, if you can put it that way, of, of the base. Um, and obviously, you can't just appeal to the sort of hardest of the hardcore, no. uh, or you're not going to be able to appeal in, in, a, in a general election. So I agree with that. I think the problem the party is facing is that, um, never mind the hardest of the hardcore, just the general tenor of the of the membership, neither McKay nor O'Toole are particularly convincing tribunes for. Mm-hmm. Neither of them are particularly small-c conservative, at least within the conservative family. So. If I can borrow a phrase, the, the conservative wing of the conservative party, I think, is pretty unhappy right now because they've got basically a couple of centrists, mushy centrists, who, who are appealing to them. And they obviously they have a right to run and they may be the best choices. But I think a lot of people in the party would like to see somebody a bit more of a, of a, of a darker blue hue right. uh, running in the race. And I think partly because of the rules of the race uh, that were set by this you know, shadowy committee of the party, uh, it's kind of made it hard for people other than the most well-known names to run. Because you need, it's $300,000. Exactly. And was it 3000 Something like that, yeah. And it, it's just a, it's, and, and you need more than the 300000 when you factor in the, the costs of running for the for race, sure. et cetera. Yeah. So it's a pretty big hurdle. And the idea was supposed to be that they were going to get the star candidates in and keep the scary SOCONs out. <laughs> and the star candidates have mostly declined to run, and the scary SOCONs have showed up. So it's a bit of a fiasco um, uh, that, that, that a lot of people, and myself included, thought what the party really needed was to have a really good debate about what does it stand for in 2020, you know, what it, what it, how does it going to apply its principles to the issues of today, uh, what, what lessons can it learn from its failure to break through in, in successive elections, and instead it's, it looks like it's going to be a, a popularity contest with a couple of guys pretending to be small C conservatives who really yeah. aren't that aren't that way that much. Well, let, I, I know, no, I, I know we've gone to you, but let's talk about uh, uh, Gladu and Lewis. Because oh. uh, Gladu, you know, she's been talking about being a more compassionate leader and coming up with a more effective climate change policy. And she, I, I saw an interview earlier today where she said she doesn't believe that either O'Toole um, uh, or McKay can, can win because they're not going to appeal to young people with where they stand. And uh, Lewis has stated that her campaign is based on three elements missing in politics today, courage, compassion, and common sense. Now, given that uh, they're both not very well known and, and Lewis has never held public office, do either of them have a real chance of winning the leadership? Uh, why don't we start with you, Noel? Uh, no, hard no. They don't have a chance. I'll tell you why. Uh, a lot. I mean, you said some good things there, sure. Uh, but uh, take Lewis, for example. So I'm a big fan of Coronation Street. Uh, we got any Coronation oh, Street I love fans? It. Yeah, my nan Irene got me hooked. There was a character on that called Lewis. 
and he was a con man. Uh, huh. And so nobody could trust him. And I mean, who is the conservative base but elderly people uh, who watch Coronation Street? They're not going to trust anybody named Lewis. So why, why would they vote for a Lewis? And then Gladue, is that how you say it? Gladue? I believe so. Uh, yeah. All I, well, first of all, uh, Gladue was a shadow minister. That just sounds sinister. Like, we <laughs> want something lurking in yeah. the shadows. It sounds like uh, like somebody's creeping you out. But even more importantly, I hear Gladue and all I can think of is Klaatu from uh, Total Recall, right. that like yeah. alien thing that was living in the stomach of the other yeah, guy yeah. or whatever, like little alien yeah. baby. And also like, recorded the hit song. Calling oh. occupants of interplanetary craft. There you go. Yeah. So uh, also, that was like a 70s uh, weird prog rock space People thing, wasn't it? People thought they were the Beatles for a while. Oh, my God. There. See, you can't cut. trust them. They're faking out the Beatles. Yeah. Or they're like an alien baby living in some guy's stomach. Uh, who's going to vote for that? So Klaatu, Gladu, whatever, shadow puppets, they're not They're not winning nothing. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and on top of all of that, they're both women. <laughs> well, so. sorry. Sorry, so what you said. I'm not going to lie. I didn't even know that part. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just point out that uh, Leslie Lewis, if you look at her resume, she has a very impressive education. Like, she seems really... Like, I haven't really seen her speak, and I haven't seen any, any policy from her. But... I just want to make clear that in no way does the panel show say she's a dishonest person <laughs> for legal reasons. <laughs> and Noel's high right now. But uh, she could be a baby living in someone's stomach on an alien planet. I'm just anybody could be. could be. Let's just we leave that anybody there. Anybody could be, yeah. Sherilyn, know. what do you think? So, do either so she's, she's, she's qualified. She's educated. So what's next on the list? She's shrill, maybe, is going to be the next thing that is said? About, I, don't I don't know. Well, she's never held off. She did run uh, for the conservatives. Uh, nationally, like, like in, I believe in, in Scarborough, I think somewhere in 2015, but she she didn't win, and now she's stepping forward, uh, running for the leadership. Yeah, so but I really don't know much about her. So it's common sense, compassion, and what was the third thing? Uh, courage, compassion, and common sense. Ooh, that's a tall order. Um, I mean, yeah, that sounds like a pretty extreme rebrand. Um, <laughs> you can tell where my politics lie, but uh, yeah, that that sounds like you know you're trying for new Coke there, and right. I, I just. But I would say yeah. that's fair, given oh, wait, given Coke, where the no, sensitive. No. Okay. I, you know, Sharon, sure, no, I would say that's a fair assessment, given you know on what happened during the Harper years and and with the Ford government here, the Conservatives certainly do not look good if you live in Ontario. No, so, I mean that's a fair assessment. I think. Yeah, it seems it seems like a, a bit of a reach. She, she's got a very impressive resume. Uh, yeah. I think she's, a, a, we're going to find she's a social conservative, right. uh, for good or ill. Uh, my objection is more that, uh, and not to her, but, but uh, in, in general, uh, you know, party leader is not an entry position. And we keep mm -hmm. treating it as such. We keep thinking politics is basically this easy job that amateurs can take up. Uh, and it's not. It's you know I've watched it for a while, and it's hard work, and it requires a lot of skill. And, and there's a lot of people who are not particularly pleasant people in it. But it, whether they're pleasant or not, it's it you've got to be good at it, and you get good at it through experience. And this notion that you can just kind of step into politics uh, without any experience and not just be an MP, but but you know enter at the at the leadership level and she's hardly the first to try yeah i, I do find a, a bit ridiculous you know the people need to understand uh um the complexity of politics that the, the, the quite the, the types of of skill set that it requires in terms of reading other people and judging when you can push forward with a policy and when you can't and all of the po political game it's it's difficult it's subtle it's complicated and you need the, the judgment that can only be acquired through years of experience. Well, you know, let's talk about someone who had no experience 
and moved into politics. This is our uh, last topic for tonight. We're going to talk about the aftermath of President Trump's impeachment trial. Exhibit A. There you go. Exhibit A. Yeah. And uh, on the last episode, we we didn't we said we we're going to talk about what it's over because because you know it, it was just moving too quickly to, to talk about it on the podcast. Uh, so let me see where are we? Uh, so, oh yeah, what a difference a month or two makes. So two months ago, we talked about how more and more evidence was mounting, and it was looking like the Republican-controlled Senate would have to call witnesses during the president's impeachment trial. And then last month, there was possible evidence leaks from John Bolton's book that made it look like he would testify. But in the end, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans did not allow any witnesses to be called. Only one Republican senator, Mitt Romney, voted for the impeachment, and thus President Trump was acquitted on both charges. The next day, the president was gloating about his acquittal. Here's a clip of him speaking at the National Prayer Breakfast, a great place to gloat. Uh, this is taken from PBS. Could we play clip three, please? Weeks ago and again yesterday, courageous Republican politicians and leaders had the wisdom, fortitude, and strength to do what everyone knows was right. I don't like people who use their faith as justification for doing what they know is wrong. Nor do I like people who say, I pray for you, when they know that that's not so. That was a reference to Nancy Pelosi, who said she'd pray for him, and Mitt Romney said he was following his faith in his vote. Now, here's a clip of Trump giving a press conference at the White House later that same day. This clip is taken from CNBC. Could we play clip four, please? Uh, we've been going through this now for over three years. Uh, it was evil. It was corrupt. It was dirty cops. Uh, it was leakers and liars. And this should never, ever happen to another president, ever. I don't know that other presidents would have been able to take it. Some people said, no, they wouldn't have. But I can tell you, at a minimum, uh, you have to focus on this, because it can get away very quickly, no matter who you have with you. It can get away very quickly. It was a disgrace. Uh, had I not fired James Comey, who was a disaster, by the way, uh, it's possible I wouldn't even be standing here right now. I have to say, I think I love it every time uh, Trump says, some people say. Because <laughs> I think it's, you know, we all know that means no one is saying that. Um, Republican Senator Susan Collins uh, famously said she was voting against impeachment because she felt the president had learned his lesson. Okay. Panel, given the president's statements after his acquittal, what do you think he's learned, if anything? Carolyn, let's start with you. He hasn't learned shit. Um, he's learned he can get away with anything. That's all he's learned. Yeah. Uh, Noel? Yeah, I agree. He's learned He's learned that, man, if he just, like, uh, it, it speaks with blind confidence and, uh, like, he's the cock of the walk, so to speak, that everybody will believe him. Like, man, if I had his delusional confidence, I'd be like Pablo Escobar by now. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you'd be dead? Oh, well, oh, wow, okay, you put it that way. Uh, I mean, I'd be Pablo Escobar circa 1979. Okay. Uh, but, uh, except, you know, I'm not, like, without the killing, I'm not implying that, I guess. <laughs> right. I just kind of talked myself into that one. But, uh, so Escobar light. Escobar light, yeah. 
yeah, you yeah. know, like Miller Lite. Um, uh, less filling, but still tastes great. Uh, but uh, I, think I think it's less killing. Less killing. And still get high. Less killing, but yeah, still, still get, get high. high. Yeah. I'm going to keep that, David. Okay. Thank you. That's a good slogan. Not a problem. Um, uh, but no, Trump's, Trump's learned nothing. Exactly. Trump's just learned that it's just built on what he's already learned, that he can get away with anything just by saying whatever the hell he wants. I don't even, he can say whatever the hell he wants. It doesn't matter. And Maureen, you, you seem to be a fan of people never saying they're wrong. You stated earlier. Well, I mean, I, th I think a thing that he has learned is kind of a new tone. I mean, oh. he's this kind of quiet, kind of soft vocal space that he was in <laughs> is one that is not my preference. I think he's the funniest president that they've ever had. <laughs> yeah. Truly, 100%, he says things that are just quite good. He's evil and should go to hell, but, he, but he's very funny. And this new tone, this kind of pious way, you know, I, I thought that was a new thing for him but and I know there's a lot more intricacy to it but to go back to us talking about you know the, the candidates that need to think about the complexity of, yeah. of the job and that it's not an entry-level job well why would anyone believe that when it's all a cult of personality now there's no faith in the system whatsoever so there has your candidates have to be these big people he is he's ridiculous <laughs> Andrew what do you think uh, yeah I think he's learned not only that he can get away with anything but that the particular reason you can get away with anything is that America's Constitution has proved to be a bit of a house of cards. Right. Um, you know, at the time of the Watergate uh, impeachment, people said this showed the system worked, that Nixon was eventually brought down for his crimes. Um, but the system is only as strong as the people who inhabit it. So you can have all the institutional checks and balances, which we used to think maybe were too cumbersome but would protect America from this kind of thing. But the institutions are only as strong as the people in it. And if you have people, if you have a culture now that has taken hold, particularly in the Republican Party, of, of my party, right or wrong, I will vote the party line, I will vote to support the president no matter what the facts say, then then you can't, that, that can't, uh, that, that system can't be saved. So well, I think it's caused a lot of soul searching in America on this particular point of, uh, it's not just the corruption of Trump. It's not just his personal corruption. It's the corruption of the political culture around him that's enabling him that ought to really trouble people above and beyond Trump himself. And it's interesting because Trump, you know, in an interview, a very famous interview in the 90s said, I mean, he was always a Democrat. But, you know, it's easy to find that interview online where he said, if I were to run, I'd run as Republican because they'll believe whatever I'm going to say, pretty much is what he said. And that's really what's happened. But that's an interesting point, Andrew. And I, I'm wondering if this year there'll be some payback. I mean, this is an election year, and both uh, Senators uh, Collins and McConnell are up for re-election, and they're facing tough opponents. Do you think there will be a price for them and other Republicans to pay at the ballot box for supporting uh, President Trump? Uh, Cheryl, let me start with you. I think You're already if, shaking your head. Well, so I funny. think if they thought there was a price to pay, they wouldn't have been doing what they're doing. I, I think they they sense probably correctly that they're invincible, uh, and and they're just going to keep going the way they're going. I, I I don't think I think all of this is very calculated, and I think uh, I think they know that they can get away with what they've been doing too. And Maureen, what do you think? Well, I just think, I don't know how much more people can take. I, I, I think that there's just, there's going to be a point of hopelessness that everyone's just going to absolutely lay down. Uh, my niece showed me this Radiohead music video once. <laughs> and in it, all these people were lying down on the yeah. ground and nobody knows why. Yeah. And it was just, it was really, honestly, art. And I think that that's going to happen if, if we don't see some kind of uh, action, some, some kind of change here. I mean, between that and the existential feeling around climate change, I think 
think people are just going to lie down and let their bodies be used for batteries. I mean, I just don't know what they're supposed to do. So we're heading to the Matrix. That's cool. Think of worse things. Uh, Andrew Coy, what do you think is going to be a political price pay? Well, I might have said so until recently. I mean, they did pay a price, for example, in the midterm elections. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, Republicans in marginal seats and seats that could swing either way might might be in trouble. But, you know, that reckons without the, the assistance and aid of the, of the Democratic Party mm-hmm. that they seem to be riding to Trump's rescue. That if they nominate, as they at this point would appear to be fixing to do, uh, Bernie Sanders as their as their presidential candidate, uh, whether you like him or not, he, he's just not electable, and I think he's going to do damage not just to them in the presidential race, but in the Senate and, and, and congressional races as well, because people vote, you know, the, the ticket. Right. And there's just a lot of Americans who are just never, ever, ever going to vote for Bernie Sanders. I think though you're going to see, I mean, young people are going to come out in droves and vote for someone like Bernie Sanders. And that really, I think, is what it comes out to. Well, that end, is the election, like, do the ballot machines work? You know, like, I think it's quite dicey that they, they, the Republicans won't pass this legislation to make sure that the machines are all in the up and up. Uh, Noel Hendricks, what are your thoughts? Is there, a, is there a political price to pay? No, yeah, no, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a political price to play, price to pay, because mm-hmm. uh, people keep believing and feeding into that cult of personality, like Maureen said. It's, uh, it reminds me of this, I'm taking this, uh, this art class at uh, the Learning Attic, uh, but it, I mean, it's really, it's a painting, it's really a paint-by-numbers class, right? So, like, all you gotta do is pick the right number and stay in the lines and your painting will look beautiful, right? But there's this guy in the class, Griff, uh, and uh, he doesn't pay attention to the numbers, he just picks ones at random. He doesn't even follow the line. So his, his, you know, it's supposed to look like a Labrador Retriever puppy, and his ends up looking like a black hole or something. Uh, there's just nothing there. But the teacher, God bless him, I mean, I guess they're getting paid to be supportive or whatever. He holds up his painter at the end of the class, and each week it's, like, crappier and crappier, and the teacher's just like, great work, Griff, great work, Griff. And the rest of us are all like, he's not even following the lines, he's not using the right numbers, and what, you know, what is he even doing there? But there's never any consequences, and that one is like, Trump keeps painting further and further outside the lines and the voters like that teacher just going like yeah great job great job well i would yeah i would say if the teacher is is, is pointing out this person they, that's a risk of getting fired because this person's it's dealing with some other issue that, that some kind of eye issue or something I don't know. <laughs> why, why do you need to take a course of painting numbers hey, i'm learning about art andrew i'm learning about <laughs> color combinations <laughs> look i didn't have that kind of childhood so i'm i'm embracing it i'm trying to better myself by learning a new skill, and that's how I'm easing myself into it. Actually, there's other benefits to the learning annex for you. And that's, sure, yeah. And that's green, and that's green. It's, it's, yes. Yeah, I meet a lot of clients, so I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Saddest thing okay. I've heard. All right, you know, let's move on. It's, it's time now to play Real or Fake. Oh, oh sweet. <laughs> Every month, while doing research for the show, I come across a story that makes me think, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. And then I find uh, two or three more that are just as crazy. So we're going to use some of these stories to play real or fake. I'm going to read out a headline, and then I'll ask each panelist and then the audience if they think the story is real or fake. Okay, here's our first headline. Proposed bill would require men in Alabama to get vasectomy. Real or fake? Sherilyn, what do you think? Oh, uh, phew. Alabama, anything's possible, I'm going to say real. Andrew Coyne? Uh, that doesn't sound like Alabama. That, that sounds fake. Okay. Yeah. Maureen? No, yeah, I don't think that they would let, pe- let men be separate from that, that part of themselves. No. <laughs> uh, fake. Yeah, no, I agree. It's a, if it's against men, it's got to be fake. Yeah. All right, audience, you think it's real or fake? Fake. 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 It is 100% real. Oh! 
Yes. And the article was published on Valentine's Day, February oh. 14th. Mandatory uh, vasectomies? Well, it, like, it, what, under what circumstances? A proposed yeah. bill. So this was put forward. I, I don't know the name of the, of the woman oh. in the legislature, but she put it forward basically as, as a counter thing to right. all the um, anti-abortion laws they're bringing in in Alabama. How and what's interesting is like Ted Cruz and people are freaking out over this. So, so it's having an effect. Okay. That's like a scam. And you could easily Google it. It's February 14th on a lot of different news sites. Okay, our next headline. Roving band of herpes-ridden monkeys now roaming northeast Florida. Real or fake? Andrew Coyne, you love Florida stories. You think you, it's real You could convince me of anything in Florida, but even so, I'm going to say fake. Aunt Maureen? Well, yes, Florida loves a loose animal. But uh, <laughs> but monkeys, I, I mean, I don't think that their, their zoos probably have monkeys that are still alive. So I'm going to say, I'm gonna say <laughs> fake as well. Noel Hendricks? No, that's got to be true, 100% true. All right. Sherilyn? Yeah, I'm split because Florida is so possible, but the monkeys uh, the monkeys make me say fake. Audience, real or fake? Real. real. It is 100% real. <laughs> it seems almost too good. I know. Yeah. yeah. You can look it up. It's on the nose. That story's from the New York Post, published on February 1st. Okay. Our next headline. Pigeons with Make America Great Again hats glued to their heads <laughs> released in Las Vegas. <laughs> Aunt Maureen, real or fake? I mean, that sounds, and I know the hats are bad, but that sounds cute. Um, <laughs> oh, God, I'm just because I would love to see it, but not that that hat, but maybe, you know, some kind of fedora. Uh, let's go with real. Noel Hendricks? Yeah, the Republican Party's just trying to get more voters ready for the election, so <laughs> yeah, that's got to be real. Sherilyn? So I. It, I think isn't Mike Tyson like a big fan of pigeons, <laughs> and doesn't he live in Vegas? I, like I'm gonna say these maybe are like Mike Tyson's pets, and this is real. Okay, Andrew Coy. Uh, what happens in Vegas? I'm gonna finish that. Uh, I'm gonna say real. Real. Audience, real or fake? Fake. Real. It is 100% real. <laughs> uh, the pigeons were released by a group called Pigeons United to Interfere Now or Putin. <laughs> it happened during. I think there was a Trump rally in Las Vegas, and it but is that, is that, that. like a pro-Trump statement or an anti-Trump statement? I don't even understand. It's an anti-Trump statement. You can look it up. It's on NBC News, February twentieth. You can Google it. Okay, let's move on. Japan's popular hashtag store postponed its Beijing opening due to concerns about the coronavirus. Real or fake? Noel Hendricks will start Sorry, with you. The the Did you say Kenora virus? Did I say the wrong thing? I mean, I, nothing against Kenora, but... Uh... Wait, let me read that again. Wait, it's coronavirus. Yeah. Sorry, let me read it again. I like that, the Kenora virus. You know, last month I almost wrote a real or fake, a fake headline that was going to say uh, people are buying less coronas yeah. because of the coronavirus. And I thought, well, maybe we can get sued about that because of... By the company, but then, and then that happened for real. It's the coronavirus, so, it makes you break out in plaid. There we go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, drop the mic out of here. Okay, so let me read that again. We'll edit all that. Okay. <laughs> oh, uh, that was his big moment. We're running long. We're running way long. Okay, real or fake? Uh, Noel, we'll start with you. I, I I don't even understand the part about it being a hashtag store, uh, <laughs> but uh, but I'm gonna go with fake. Sherilyn. Yeah, I'm, I'm really hung up on the hashtag store thing. Um, I, I want it to be real because I want that to be a thing, I think. Andrew? You couldn't have made up hashtag store. You couldn't have. I'm saying that's real. And Maureen? Well, it does sound like something I'd make up to relate to somebody. Um, I'm going to go. Let's, 
Let's go with fake just to just to have some fun. <laughs> Audience real or fake? Real. One hundred percent fake. <laughs> yes. There we go. What Let's, was what was your idea of what a hashtag store is? I didn't think about it too much. I just thought I kind of like the name of like Japanese hashtag store. It just sounds like something the Japanese would do. For something sure. that could happen there. Yeah, yeah. fun there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's go with our last one. Last headline: Male sex robots. Well, sorry. True. Here you go. <laughs> Start it again. On principle. Male sex robots with unstoppable bionic penises are coming this year. Wait. No pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended, real or fake. Sherilyn? Does this have anything to do with the vasectomy bill? <laughs> no. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm going to say real. Why not? Andrew Coyne? Fake. Aunt Maureen? Yeah I, yeah, I don't think they're designing anything that's that nice for women. Fake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. I'm going with real. Audience? Real. Real. That is 100% real. Oh. That is taken from the Metro UK on January 8th. You can look it up. There's a creepy photo of one of the robots. <laughs> I don't know if it'll actually happen, oh, but the headline is real. And guess what, everybody? That's the end of the show. Yeah. I'd like to thank our panelists, Andrew Coyne, Sherilyn Johnson, Kayla Lorette as Aunt Maureen, and Carrie Griffith as Noel Hendricks. I'd also, like to I'd also like to thank Luke Peters for helping me gather the audio clips. And also Raj here at Studio 876. Music for the panel show is provided by Jim Clayton. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to send in possible topics for future shows or questions for myself or any of the panelists, you can do so via our website, thepanelshow.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. My name is David Shore. Thank you so much for listening to the Panel Show Podcast. Yay! Yay!